0: This is an audio series from the Super Freak Media Podcast Network. If you like what you hear, please be sure to show your support and follow us on our other social media platforms. Check out the links listed in the description of this episode to find out more. Thank you. The night draws near, and the shadows stir. You're alone in the woods. Dead leaves crunch underfoot and the wind bites at your neck. You feel a chill down your spine as the fog ushers you deeper into the darkness, a darkness full of eyes that watch and whispers of stories. I am your storyteller, and this is Campfire Chronicles. Tonight's story follows Quinn. Raised on stories of fey creatures, he returns to his childhood home to find that the beings that filled his nightmares weren't just a part of his imagination. Playing ignorant to tradition, he discovers all too late the grisly consequences that await him. The sun slowly crept upon the overgrown thicket of Sealy Cottage. Beams of light caressed the brambles along the boundary of the garden, slipping between the cracks of the pavestones and reaching longingly through the branches of the old, gnarled tree at its centre. The weathered remains of a small rope fence flailed in the breeze at the tree's base as morning fell like a sigh. The memories of a childhood spent here drifted in the wind as Quinn stared contemplatively from the kitchen window, eyes glazed with morning rum. Dust danced gently in the air as he stood in the same spot that Nanny MacLeod would watch him from as he ran around the garden full of juvenile wonder. It was the first time that Quinn had been back here since the funeral, since he found out that Seely Cottage was now his. It wasn't an easy trip. His overnight train journey from London was a sleepless one, As he returned to the Highlands for the first time in his adult life. Back to seclusion and isolation. Back to the place he swore he would never return to since leaving almost a decade ago. As he sluggishly poured another cup of tea, a sharp pang of hunger shook him from his morning stupor, leading to a frantic search through the cupboards to find something that was in date. Like the rest of the cottage, The contents of the cupboard were way past their best date, blanketed in a thin layer of dust. The pantry was next, which was empty, save for a familiar, ornate biscuit tin that unleashed a flood of memories from Quinn's childhood. One for you, one for me, and one for our friends, the folks that are free, echoed Nanny McLeod's voice as he pried open the stiff lid that was inlaid with intricate patterns and cartoonish depictions of fairies, sprites and pixies. Where there once was homemade buttery shortbread, there now sat several stones, smooth and cold. They dulled the polished gold interior of the antique biscuit tin. With a frustrated groan, Quinn threw the tin back into the pantry and slammed the door shut with enough force to send motes of dust raining down upon him. This is typical of her, he thought to himself. Head up her ass all the way to the clouds. As he stomped around the cottage, he thought of how he could not even escape Nanny McLeod's stupid rhymes and superstitions even after she was gone. How it always frustrated him that she would continue infantilizing him even into adulthood. On a cold winter's night, leave them all something sweet, else they'll bite off your toes and nibble on your feet, he said out loud mockingly remembering the wild stories of brownies that would finish your chores in exchange for sweet, baked goods. Quinn loved these tales growing up. His head would swim in the magic of stories about Kelpies, the water horses that would entice children to jump on their backs, and those of the gnome-like petch that would challenge the strongest men to arm-wrestling contests. At Nanny MacLeod's insistence, he would always leave a jar of honey by the back door at the beginning of every month. Together they would hang bells from the tree each summer so that the sprites would tend to their garden, being careful not to damage even a single leaf from the tree, which Nanny McLeod insisted was the home of the Fae. It wasn't until Quinn started to get older that he realised his life was different from everyone else. His classmates would all have the latest toys and gadgets, whereas Quinn would have rickety wooden figurines that Nanny said were made just for him by Gruagak, the Fairy Queen, in exchange for a pint of fresh milk Quinn soon grew bitter in his teenage years, becoming tired of the tall tales and the isolation from his peers. As soon as he had the chance, he ran away and never looked back. He would send the occasional card when he could, but by the time that the news of her death had reached him, Quinn had not spoken to Nanny Macleod in almost seven years. He felt a sharp scratch of guilt as he left the cottage to take a short stroll to pick up some food before the real work of the day needed to be done. He always meant to pick up the phone, but life just got in the way, and after their last conversation, he was sure that she never wanted to hear from him again. The seclusion of Seeley Cottage meant that it was a nine-mile round trip just to collect some supplies, and as he quickly devoured his morning haul, Quinn started to note the dull tasks that he had to undertake before the estate agent would arrive in two days' time, and he could finally be rid of Seeley Cottage for good. The place had sat untouched for months, but he felt Nanny McLeod's presence everywhere he looked. From the cluttered living room filled with books, teapots and trinkets, to the bedrooms that had wall-to-ceiling murals of woodland sprites and mythical creatures. He thought that she was undoubtedly smirking from the afterlife, knowing that she had the last laugh. With how much needed to be done, and how quickly he wanted to be out of the place, he wolfed down his breakfast and choked on his coffee, dashing his leftovers out of the kitchen window into the bramble below. He instinctively pulled his phone from his pocket to mindlessly scroll away for a few moments, but Seely Cottage resided in the middle of nowhere, and the surrounding forests ensured that no network coverage would ever reach these parts of the highlands. He threw his phone into a nearby drawer, which then turned into a rummage to find some black bags. This was cut short when there was a knock at the door. Five short raps in quick succession. Hurriedly, he opened the door only to find that there was no one there. As he stepped outside to investigate, he knocked over a small rock cairn that had been raised directly on the doorstep. Word must have reached the nearby towns that there was someone in the crazy lady's house, and kids being kids, they wanted to cause some havoc, so he yelled for them to back off. It seems that nothing truly had changed since he left Seely Cottage behind, and that kids still take the long bike ride up here, Daring each other to pull pranks and try not to get cursed by the crazy lady who lived there. Shaking off the familiar sense of embarrassment, he kicked the rocks under the overgrown flower beds that lay either side of the front door and made his way back into the cottage. There was a sudden crash, and Quinn made a beeline towards the source of the noise. The broom closet door was wide open, with all of its contents scattered across the floor. He whipped his head around the door frame and found nothing but shelves of detergent and various cleaning materials. He shouted in a fit of frustration. There was too much to do today without having to deal with snot-nosed kids. I suggest you leave now, else I'm calling the police! He bellowed while stomping through the front door again, hoping to scare off any child that was stupid enough to get on his bad side today. As he repeated himself, shouting out of the front door, something caught his eye. A blur. Moving too quickly to be a child passed rapidly from the bramble up to the top of the old tree in the centre of the garden. Sighing, and not wanting to spend his day arguing with a squirrel, he turned back and headed inside, oblivious of the chorus of muffled giggles emanating from the tree. Quinn sat on the edge of his old, single bed, hand-engraved with leaves and flowers. Nanny had told him that it was an old piece of wood that had fallen from the tree in the garden, and was fashioned into its current form as a token of thanks from the Faye to the MacLeod family for respecting the old ways. Nothing in the room had been disturbed since he stormed out of the cottage for good all those years ago. Three large trunks filled with wooden toys and instruments that had remained untouched and unloved for so long. The old dresser that still contained clothes that had been handed down so many times that patches had to be sewn into almost everything sat in the corner of the room dwarfed by the mural that covered the cold, stone walls. It was a depiction of the Seelie Cottage Garden in full bloom. Pixies playing amongst the heather, brownies peeking out from behind ferns, and the giant tree playing host to the numerous fair folk that made up the rest of the fairy court. There was nothing in this room that Quinn wanted to keep. The contents of this room belonged to someone else. They belonged to a sheltered little boy who was content to live in a world of make-believe, and the sooner it was all gone, the sooner he would get back to the real world. Armed with a full roll of black bags, he haphazardly started to fill them by the armful, with no sentiment for the joy these items once brought him, only stopping occasionally to mentally appraise whether certain items held any monetary value. A sudden sharp stab in the palm of his hand brought him out of his monotonous routine, filling the air with a shriek similar to a yelping dog. He withdrew his arm, which had a thin trickle of deep crimson blood decorating it, dropping whatever he was holding to the ground to inspect his injury. Buried deep in his palm was a thick, dark splinter of wood that had been driven deep within the soft pink flesh. A fresh pool of blood formed as quick as he could wipe it away, the searing pain throbbing in time with his quickening pulse. He ran to the bathroom and thrust his hand under the antiquated taps, which groaned with the strain of disuse as he scrambled to turn them on. Flecks of rust glittered in the small reservoir of bloody water, the pain slowly starting to subside into a throbbing sting. He found some yellowing bandages in the cramped cupboard under the sink and started to wrap up his hand, fighting with a bloody red dot that was fastly seeping through the layers. Several layers later, the bandages remained there sickly off-white, So he returned to the bedroom where the offending item still remained on the floor. He bent slowly to pick it up. It was a crudely made small wooden figure in the shape of a person, fashioned out of tree branches and twine with sharp twigs poking through sporadically. As he inspected the figure, it seemed vaguely familiar, even though he had no recollection of ever owning such a thing. So he tossed it in the trash, and as the hours passed, The contents of his old bedroom slowly began to vanish into numerous piles of black bags until nothing remained but the furniture and a sense of accomplishment. An early start and the lack of rest eventually caught up with him, and as he fought an intense match of -of tug-of-war with sleep, he admitted defeat and closed his eyes. The summer breeze rolled against the rickety window frames with a gentle tap, the aged wooden beams creaking in a metronome and Quinn found himself walking along a beaten woodland path, the pearlescent moonlight lighting the way, his small juvenile body dwarfed by the forest's ancient grandeur. His hand was in hers. Chalky and rough, but with a gentle touch, he looked up and saw Nanny McLeod's round face beaming down on him. Her faded emerald eyes filled with nothing but love. She mouthed something to him, but no sound came out, and she nodded towards the path ahead of them. He tried to say hello to her, but he choked on the words as they latched onto his throat. The moon cast long shadows on the trunks of the trees, creating otherworldly shapes and contorted illusions of faces crying out in silent agony, bark twisting and stretching in an unnatural maelstrom. As scared as he was, he always felt safe with Nanny. She might be as old as the trees around them, but she had an air of authority around her that even the scariest monsters of his imagination would cower from. She gave him a soft, reassuring squeeze of his hand as he shivered, head down, avoiding eye contact with the knots in the bark that felt as if they were gazing on him hungrily. The twilight silence was slowly pushed aside when the biting air began to charge with imperceptible whispering. The wind swirled behind them both, pushing them deeper into the forest. Each indistinguishable word felt like a small blow against Quinn's eardrum. Long branches, like gnarled limbs, lurched closer to him, occasionally getting tangled in his hair and clawing at his face, leaving faint scratches that would sting in the night air. He huddled closer to Nanny's billowing skirt, and she wrapped a plump arm firmly around him, the wind growing stronger and forcing them to keep a quick pace. He opened his mouth to call out to her, but when his words failed him again, she quickly turned his gaze to meet hers, shook her head, and gave him that familiar, do-as-you-are-told look. When he turned back towards the path, he noticed that in her free arm, Nanny Macleod was holding a thick bundle of rags, but he had no time to think of this, as the wind ushered them into a clearing in the woods. The wind subsided to a small, continuous sigh while the whispering became a deafening crescendo blaring from all directions. The clearing was barren, save for a crooked stump directly in the centre. The moon saturated the area with cold light as it shone directly above, leaving the haunted trees around them bathed in liquid darkness. Nanny gave Quinn's shoulder a firm squeeze, gathered up her skirt and hobbled over to the tree stump both arms now cradling the lump of fabric as she stared dead ahead. She slowly placed the bundle down, and as it made contact with the wood, the whispering came to an abrupt stop, leaving the air thick with the eerie silence once again. The wind stopped, and the night was still. Goosebumps slowly tiptoed across his skin as a piercing cry echoed around him. The bundle of cloth squirmed and a short, flabby arm broke free, the high-pitched crying now rupturing midnight's inertia. Just as Quinn took a step towards Nanny and the crying baby, she fluidly spun around and pointed a finger at him and he froze as small, luminous orbs appeared within the surrounding trees. He saw Nanny mouthing words, eyes closed and bowing her head. He strained his eyes to try and make out what she was saying, but her shriveled mouth made no shapes that seemed familiar to him, All the while there were more of the small orbs appearing by the moment that would occasionally disappear and reappear in rapid succession. Warmth blossomed in the crotch of his trousers and poured down the inside of his thigh, then drenching his sock while he was suspended in fear. Nanny had finished her chant and was making her way back over to him while the screams of the baby grew louder. Close your eyes, wee-in. She breathed into his ear, and she nestled him into her warm embrace. The scent of lavender and patchouli filled his lungs, and as he squeezed his eyes shut and held on to Nanny tighter, he became aware of movement all around him. The sound of claws tearing wet fabric, mixed with guttural growls and a gargled baby's scream, dinned into Quinn's head, his eyes stinging with the tears that erupted from his eyes. Nanny started to hum a lullaby, while the cacophony of terror overwhelmed Quinn, who could not catch his breath from the sobs that forced themselves from the very pit of his stomach. A final choked squeal was immediately followed by the sound of smacking lips, chewing and swallowing. And then, silence. Nanny slowly let go of Quinn, reassuring him that everything was okay and that he could open his eyes now. He refused. He wanted her to pick him up, and run back to the safety of their cottage together. After some coaxing and promises of his favourite cake, he opened one eye slowly, and then the other. The clearing was empty. All hungry eyes from the forest had now disappeared, and it was just him and Nanny. She hunched over, wiped his face and planted a kiss on his forehead, her peach fuzz gently tickling him and making him giggle. He took her hand and they started to make their way along the path back home when Quinn turned his head towards the stump in the middle of the clearing. Tiny, dark footprints burgeoned out from a pond of blood that surrounded it. Gone were the baby and the blankets, replaced with a small cairn of stones. He opened his mouth to scream. Quinn shot up, body covered in a film of cold sweat, The sheets were soaked and clung to his legs while the acidic sting of urine permeated the room. The room was pitch black, so he pressed himself against the wall, blindly feeling his way to the light switch. Suddenly he started to salivate and his stomach growled, barely making it to the toilet by the time that its contents exploded from his mouth and nose. After hurling several mouthfuls of vomit into the cold basin, he started to choke on a piece that was caught in his throat. No amount of clearing would shift it, so he reached to the very back of his mouth to try and remove it. Whatever it was, it was sharp and too large to have been something that he simply ingested this morning, and it cut into muscle as he removed it slowly from the back of his throat. Wailing in agony and the coppery taste of blood mixing with bile, he threw up again all over his hand, trying his hardest not to choke as it attempted to slide back down his esophagus. He reached back and managed to pull it further into his mouth while sharp, needle-like points bored into his tongue and made a noise like scratches on wet sandpaper as he tugged rhythmically. One final tug removed the object, leaving deep, thick scratches in and around his mouth and he dropped whatever was removed into the toilet bowl. The stick figure lazily bobbed up and down in a sea of sick, laced with blood, silently mocking him while tears streamed down his face, falling into the grisly concoction that lay within the toilet. He scrambled backwards, slamming the bathroom door shut behind him. He wrapped his arms around his knees and slowly started to rock back and forth in place, his heartbeat thundering in his ears. Visions of his nightmare came swimming into the forefront of his mind and battled with the agony in his throat and mouth for the contender of what could torment him the most. He hoarsely told himself that it was all just a dream. He slapped himself across the face which brought no comfort and failed to rouse him from it. He then started to slam his head against the solid oak door which only resulted in more pain. No attempts of self-assurance could remove him from what he realised was a grim reality. That was no dream. He just blocked it out. That was the night that his childhood died. That was the night that all the stories he grew up with, completely absorbed with juvenile wonder, transformed into living nightmares. They never spoke about what had happened that night, and from that moment on, he truly started to resent Nanny, to the point where the venom managed to suffocate those memories and transmuted them into pure hatred. It was this hatred that compelled him to get up, and in his rage, he flung open the bathroom door and headed outside into the liquid dark. He stomped to the back of the cottage to the flimsy shed where the firewood was contained. He kicked down the door after several failed attempts at busting open the rusted over lock, and there it lay, buried amongst the cobwebs and the piles of oak. Its blade was dull, but it would still do its job. He hoisted the axe over his shoulder and made a swift approach to the old tree in the centre of the garden. Nanny McLeod would never let him climb the tree or even play near it in fear that Quinn would damage it and upset the fair folk, to the point that she erected a small rope fence around it to serve as a warning. He took great delight in stomping over it now, hoping that wherever she was in the afterlife, that Nanny felt every single blow of his leather boots. He gripped the handle firmly, releasing fresh pain into the palm of his bandaged hand. He swung back and buried the axe head into the tree, Roaring in pain as he did so, causing fresh blood to come oozing out of the scratches in his throat, the agony spurred him on further, wildly swinging the axe back and forth, slowly hacking away at the thick trunk, chips of wood flinging about aimlessly that covered the grass in a coat of fine ochre dust. He lost all track of time and thought. His face and neck were severely discoloured from a mixture of sweat, grime and blood, and his arms started to grow heavy. He dropped the axe and admired the notable chunk that he had managed to chop away. Exhausted and determined to finish the job in the morning, he retreated back inside and collapsed onto the moth-eaten sofa in the lounge. He buried his face into the faded paisley cushion and passed out from the overwhelming sense of exhaustion and pain. Blackness. Silence. Stillness. This was less of a dream and more of a void. No matter where Quinn turned, there was nothing but the empty black of void space. Nanny MacLeod's voice thundered. Woe betide ye, precious one, that fells a fairy tree. The fay will catch ye, big or small, with merriment, mirth and glee. As much as ye try, ye cannot hide, dunny bother to beg or plead. Ye shall fall to a curse that ye canny reverse, ye shall suffer and ye shall bleed. So heed these words and ye will learn to respect the folks that are free. Woe be Taiji, cursed one, that fells a fairy tree. Promptly he woke up. Rain hammered against the roof of Seely Cottage, the wind like a battering ram slammed against every window and door leading a chorus of chaos that was the storm outside. Quinn sat up, his lower abdomen ablaze with a pain that only a trip to the toilet could cure. In a daze, he languidly made his way to the bathroom, eyes half shut as he lowered his trousers to piss. Nothing happened. Eyes fully open with a look of confusion, he squeezed to try and force something out, but again his efforts were in vain. Sidestepping to the sink, he fiddled with the cold water tap and gulped mouthfuls of water and then sat down on the toilet to try again. This is when he noticed that the bathroom was spotless. No blood, no vomit, no stick figure. Chalking this up to a complete lack of sleep on his journey up here, mixed with the buried anxieties that he already had about returning to Seely Cottage, he laughed off the machinations of his warped imagination. The fire in his abdomen started again, sending him to the floor, curled up in a fetal position as the pain travelled to his groin. He shook as he clambered upright and positioned himself above the toilet again, internal muscles shrieking as he squeezed hard to no avail. The fiery pain slowly creeped down his urethra. White spots formed in his vision as the pain blinded him and beads of sweat came falling down his face. An amber, viscous liquid started to flow like lava out of the tip of his penis. Falling like honey from a spoon, it made an audible splash as it hit the water inside the toilet bowl. The pain was too much, and Quinn had to prop himself up using the sink and the tank of the toilet, the fire now all-consuming. The putrid, sour stench burned as he tried to control his breathing, and fifteen minutes felt like hours, while the thick liquid continued to flow. Tracks of tears joined tracks of sweat, and after what felt like eternity, the secretion subsided, and he stood there shivering, clothes drenched in sweat, the liquid crystallising on the tip of his penis. He lethargically removed his clothes, staggered into the bathtub, pulled the tarnished bronze lever that redirected the water flow to the shower head above, and sat there for several minutes sobbing while a dull ache pulsed inside his abdomen, allowing the lukewarm water to wash over him. Eventually he stood. Grabbing a dried-out bar of soap from the side of the bathtub, he robotically started to lather up and wash himself. It was the feeling of wet cloth against his face that brought him out of his daze, realising that the bandage was still wrapped around his hand. Unsure of what was real and what was imagined, he began to unravel the sodden wraps. His hand was stripped of colour. The paper-thin skin stretched over his bony digits like rice paper, like all the flesh had melted away. He flipped it over to inspect the wound. The angry-looking, purulent gash was mottled brown and oozed a thick, pale green trickle that swirled away as the shower water rained down upon it. The splinter was still visibly lodged in his hand and he daren't attempt to remove it now in case he made things worse. Quinn told himself that the infection must be the cause of everything that had occurred over the past day and that as soon as he cleaned up and the storm had passed, he was going to make the long journey to the closest town and get himself checked out. Rubbing the soap against his leg, the lather changed to a soft pink colour. He placed his leg under the shower. Flesh started to slowly fall away landing on the tub and sounding like a wad of wet tissue thrown against a wall. He reached down and rubbed his leg, but more came away on his hands. Pink muscle and sickly yellow fat squished in his hand like pastel jelly. Freaking out, he slipped, landing on the small of his back that shot an electric jolt of pain vibrating up his spine. He lay there in shock as he saw flesh fall and wash away from his left leg gathering at the drain and creating a plug of human tissue. Oddly, he felt no pain. In a state of shock, he ran his hands along the dissolving flesh that once stood firm on his leg, wiping away layers of sinewy muscle that came apart in slimy ribbons between his fingers. What remained was dark, rough and firm to the touch, and as the last remnants of his thigh floated beside him in a blood-soaked bath, he lifted his leg, which took incredible effort, resorting to using both arms to pull it to the surface. Where his leg once was, there was now a log. In utter disbelief, Quinn turned the water off and immediately started to laugh manically, dropping his wooden appendage back into the bloody bath with a huge splash that sent flesh, toes and water everywhere. From outside the bathroom door... More laughter came, but in a higher pitch and from a chorus of voices. Then five loud knocks came booming from the door. He clambered up, only to fall back down as his mobility was now encumbered with the newfound weight of where his leg used to be and a lack of joints. He slithered out of the bath pathetically and slowly propped himself up. The knocking repeated. He limped to the door, dragging his log leg with him, throwing the door open to find nobody there. As he stood there naked, dripping water on the hardwood floor, he caught a glimpse of how pathetic he looked, his reflection mocking him from the hallway mirror, illuminated by a streak of lightning from the storm outside and followed by a deafening crack. A loud creak was followed by the snapping of branches, culminating in a huge crash that rattled the contents of Seely Cottage. Hobbling over to the living room window, he saw that the tree in the garden was gone, The tree that had withstood hundreds of storms through countless generations had now toppled over. Something that never would have happened if Quinn didn't take an axe to it. The storm started to subside until all that remained were grey clouds, and then... the whispering started. A thousand whispers whipped the air, indiscernible and coming from all directions. Quinn drew his hands to his ears to try and muffle the terrifying sound from his nightmares... But no matter what he did, new voices would join, adding to the volume and the ice-cold fear that struck his heart. He needed to escape. He lumbered over to the drawer that contained his phone, pulled it open by the flowery handle, but his phone was nowhere to be found. It had been replaced by several small river stones, the same kind of stone that came crashing through a nearby window narrowly missing Quinn. Glass cascaded across the kitchen, landing on every available surface and skidding across the floor. Several loud crashes signalled that all of the other windows in Seely Cottage had also been smashed. There was only one person who would know what to do in this situation. Quinn thought. She must have owned a book, or something that could help. Dragging the colossal trunk of a leg with him, he headed straight for the other side of the cottage towards Nanny MacLeod's bedroom. Broken glass crunched beneath his remaining fleshy foot, digging deep into his soul like an ice-cold fang. He gritted his teeth, and lurched onwards, determined to put an end to this waking nightmare once and for all. A searing pain erupted from his injured hand as he reached towards the antiquated door handle. He raised his arm to see that the fingers were now twisting and contorting of their own accord, snapping like twigs, each contortion birthing fresh pain. The wound in the palm looked as fresh as ever, seeping with fresh green mucus streaked with blood. The paper-thin skin between his ring finger and middle finger started to tear open, sending a small crimson fissure along the entirety of his arm. His hand slowly started to split open along the flesh fault line until it fully split into halves. Emerging from the hole in his hand were leaves soaked in blood, accompanied soon after by a crimson-covered branch. The more that this branch emerged, the more that Quinn's arm would split, Bones snapped in half and muscle tore like bubblegum as branches bloomed in the space where his forearm used to be, sheets of skin hanging from them in strips that made a wet splat as they would slide to the ground. Quinn fainted from shock, only to be forced back to consciousness by raw agony. With a pop, his shoulder socket shattered and the foliage emerged in its full glory, dripping with the remains of what used to be Quinn's arm. Pushing through the agony throat aching from his tortuous cries. He threw open Nanny's bedroom door with his remaining hand and stumbled through, swiftly slamming it shut behind him. The room was silent. Quinn could no longer hear the menacing whispering. Silence, with the only sound cutting through it being his own laboured breathing and the rustling of the huge branch that now jutted out from his shoulder. Each wall of the room was painted with a depiction of a huge forest, Cascades of deep greens and lush browns that were stippled with small white dots as sets of painted eyes stared at Quinn from every angle. Like every room in Seeley Cottage, old wooden furniture adorned this space and the huge four-poster bed in the middle of the back wall was draped in rich silver silk that Nanny claimed had been made from real silky hair. He wasted no time and began his hunt for something, anything that could save him from his torment. He started with the trunk at the base of her bed, digging deep amongst spare bedding, patches of fabric and spools upon spools of various threads. Slamming the lid down in frustration, he then tried the dressers, and then the drawers, and even her wardrobe, but his efforts were fruitless, finding only the most mundane of items, not even a hint of anything that would even remotely help. Any semblance of hope that he had was now lost. Nanny McLeod had let him down one last time. He resigned himself to his torturous fate, and limped over to the bed where he would lie down and let whatever horrors that were on the other side of the door come for him. He awkwardly perched on the end of the bed, his log-like leg stretched out and he fell backwards with a defeated sigh. A sharp poke in the back of his neck had him bouncing back up again, and he shifted himself around only to see that the stick figure that had haunted him for this whole trip was lying atop the middle of the duvet. This must be it, he thought. Everything turned to shit the moment I found this. He tried to recall anything from Nanny's wild stories that mentioned something about dolls made out of sticks, but his mind failed him. Holding the figure in his flesh-and-bone hand, it dawned on him why it looked so familiar when he first took it out of the trunk. The twigs that made up the crudely-fashioned doll were the same as those in the old tree outside, and those same spindly twigs now poked out from his arm branch. This was it. All he had to do was destroy the thing, and the things outside would leave him alone. He could call for someone to come and fix this place up, and he could disappear from here, bank account a lot better off, and never come back. A rush of adrenaline and a newfound drive had Quinn scuttling over to the bedroom door, swinging it open only to be met once again by the deafening whispers from the sinister things that awaited him outside. He clung tight to the figure and made his way to the front of the cottage once again, sweat streaming from every pore from the added effort now that two of his limbs were out of use. The whispering grew more guttural. This shift in tone assured Quinn that he managed to work it out, that he was going to get through this. With a self-assured smirk, he slowly opened the front door as a blast of cold air tore through him. He needed to show them that they hadn't got him. He needed to show Nanny MacLeod that he was right, and he didn't need her, so he slowly made his way over to the freshly formed stump that now remained where the old tree used to be, very aware of the hundreds of bright eyes that had now appeared in the bramble around the perimeter of the garden. The moment that he stood on top of the stump, the whispering came to an abrupt stop. He had their attention. See, I knew it, he cried out. You might have had her chasing after you, but you haven't got me. With that, he raised the stick figure high in the air so that there was no doubt. With a triumphant smirk, he brought the figure down, rested it against the log leg, and snapped it in half. In an instant, he dropped to the floor, bent at an unnatural angle, and his spine shattered. Tears flooded his eyes as he lay atop of the stump, the stick figure broken into two pieces next to him, mirroring his own broken body. His whole body erupted with sheer agony, like each nerve was being sliced open with a hot knife. He opened his mouth several times to scream, but nothing would come out, his body completely overwhelmed by the torture that it was experiencing. Out of the corner of his eyes, he could make out figures creeping out from the brambles. In a flash, one of them blurred past him, raking his face with razor-sharp talons that burst with hot blood. Hundreds of blurs shot back and forth past him, each one carving him with their claws until he was covered in them completely. There was not a single inch of Quinn's flesh that was not ripped open, bare to the elements and seeping with blood. He silently wished for them to kill him. He could not take any more. He began to cough, and a loud crack signalled the breaking of his ribs as he felt something begin to move in his chest cavity. Bursting out from under his ribcage, branches shooting up towards the sky and spraying the contents of his insides cascading over the crisp grass. Twigs started to squeeze their way through his paws, Stretching and contorting his skin. In his final moments, Quinn could hear Nanny MacLeod's voice in his head. Woe betide ye, precious one, That fells a fairy tree! The fay will catch ye, big or small, With merriment, mirth, and glee. As much as ye try, you cannot hide, Do'n bother to beg or plead. Ye shall fall to a curse that ye canny reverse, Ye shall suffer, and ye shall bleed. So heed these words and ye will learn to respect the folks that are free. Woe betide ye, cursed one, that fells a fairy tree. His whole head started to pulsate, and in an instant it burst. The surrounding area soaked in viscera. Brain matter and school fragments flew across the sky. A thick trunk shot upwards as strands of skin clung to its foliage, flapping about in the wind. Quinn's body scattered across the entirety of Sealy Cottage's Grand Garden. The following afternoon, a silver estate car slowly pulled up next to Sealy Cottage. The drive here is horrendous, but it's worth it when you look at the view, thought Gracie as she killed the engine. Despite her sat-nav not working, she still managed to make it here in good time, and wasn't due to meet the lucky inheritor of this stunning place for another half hour. She decided to get out and have a look around, opening the rickety wooden gate and stepping into the huge garden. A well-manicured lawn filled with patches of colourful flowers were all embraced by some very well-maintained hedges along the perimeter of the garden. In the centre, a huge tree with patches of clover at its base. The cottage itself lay in the distance, filled with antique charm and had been very well taken care of and showed no sign of damage or decay. She walked along the pathway which led past the giant, old tree. As she approached, she could not help but be overwhelmed by its grandeur, and looked up to get a better look. Her eyes were drawn to two knots in the tree that looked almost as if they were eyes. A snapped-off branch below giving the illusion of a nose, and the bark below that warped in such a way that it looked like a mouth crying out in agony. She shivered and brought her gaze down and moved swiftly onto the front door. There was a small pile of stones, just outside of the door, stacked on top of each other in a peculiar manner. She was careful to not disturb them, and remembered stories she would hear when she was younger about never disturbing a fairy mound. Silly little things like that had stuck with her, like always throwing salt over your shoulder if you spill it, and you must always salute a solitary magpie. Silly stuff made up to keep children entertained. She gently knocked on the dark wooden door to the cottage, but after a few moments of waiting, nobody answered. She knocked again, a little louder this time. She shifted uneasily as she suddenly felt like she was being watched. She quickly turned around but saw no one. Her eyes skimmed the garden and fell upon the face in the tree again. It really was quite disturbing how much it resembled somebody screaming in total agony. She told herself she would try one more time, and then go wait in the car so she didn't have to look at that tree again. She thumped on the door five times, as loudly as she could manage. A few moments later, the door opened, and there stood a kindly-looking old lady, white curls framing a round, weathered face with emerald-green eyes that had faded with age. She smiled at Gracie. "'Can I help you, Wien?' she asked. "'Oh, sorry. I was supposed to be meeting Mr. Quinn Cloud here today.' He recently inherited this house. I'm from the estate agents, Gracie replied. I'm sorry, hen, but this has always been my house, and there's nobody here by that name. Probably some bairns in the village over the way having a wee jolt with you, beamed the old lady. My mistake. I'm so sorry, Gracie sighed. You have a lovely home, by the way. Thank you. Why don't you come in for a cup of tea, dear? Then you haven't come all this way for nothing. The old lady chuckled. That's very kind of you, but I should really get off. It was lovely to meet you, Mrs. Don't be daft. Come on in. Call me Nanny MacLeod. None of that, missus, nonsense, said Nanny, as she ushered Gracie through the door of Sealy Cottage. That was Sticks and Stones by Liam James. Should you find yourself lost and alone again, join me for another twisted tale. But tonight, as you leave the glow and warmth of the campfire and the last ember flickers in the dying light, remember that these stories will stay with you. You've been listening to an audio series from the Superfreak Media Podcast Network. To show your support on this project, along with the other content we create, be sure to subscribe on whatever platform you're listening on. You can keep up to date with everything else we are up to on social media using the links in the description of this episode. Thank you for listening.